Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. This is your host, George, N2APB, along with co-host, Joe, N2CX. And together we are presenting episode number 69 here on June 3rd, 2014. The episode is called Signal Quality Measurement Techniques. How do you know what you have, and uh, how do you know when you have it, I guess? So um, oftentimes we hear on the air um, everybody uh, asking, you know, how's my signal? You know, how do I sound? It's probably the most common asked uh, question in the ham bands, because most most times hams don't have the um, the right equipment or the right setup in order to monitor their signals, and then ultimately um, be able to tell how their signal is indeed uh, performing on the air. Um, and the signals go um, start right at the beginning, um, if you're using voice mode, of course, right? Start right at the microphone, go through the, uh, the input uh, amplification, the equalization, the normalization, the uh, different kinds of audio processing. Maybe that you have compression in, in your rig, um, then goes into the RF section, and then there's a, there's a matter of RF quality as far as how your measurements are, how you are tuned, how your rig is tuned, and then ultimately uh, the kind of signal that you're putting out to the antenna, the SWR. So all of this comes together in, in the form of uh, determining what your signal quality is. And uh, there are some expensive ways to do this uh, um, type of measurement. You're able to kind of figure out what your quality is by means of equipment that you would have in line with your signal chain whether it's the audio signal chain or your RF chain. But most often this, this kind of equipment is um, expensive and it's not very common in the, uh, the average uh, hams radio shack. So there are other techniques that one can use too along the way that afford you a good enough view of what your signal quality is and uh, give you somewhat of a confidence level of that your signal is being transmitted. You're not overdriving it uh, too hard, whether it's an audio signal of voice, whether it's an audio signal of digital digital mode that you happen to be operating. And some of these uh, uh, seat-of-the-pants types of uh, approaches are, are useful as we do uh, set up our stations um, and get on the air. So in this particular episode, what we're going to do is explore what, you know, what constitutes good quality and some of the techniques that are available to measure your signal and ultimately determine if your equipment is putting out a uh, um, a good signal. Um, we'll also be approaching um, a specific way that, that Joe and I have uh, dubbed signal quality monitor, the SQM, um, an inexpensive device that uh, we designed, um, oh gosh, Joe, probably about 2006 for the Atlanticon QRP forum. And ultimately that kit was uh, produced and given to all attendees. And we had some fun exercises and experiments and and uh, games set up uh, in the evening, uh, Saturday evening, that involved this particular design. Well, we've recently uh, resurrected this particular kit. Since it does have a good place on the bench, Joe and I have a, a particular uh, interest and driving motivation in measuring our signals, uh, measuring what we do on the bench, measuring the experimentation that we do. If you can't uh, put a number to it, if you can't see it on a scope or other type of meter, then you really don't have much of a feel for how your project is performing. So the actual uh, measurement is a particular interest area for us that we have 
kind of brought here to chat with the designers. The different episodes that we have regarding measurement techniques is of great interest uh, uh, for seat-of-the-pants types of, of uh, approaches to our experimentation. So, Joe, can you give us a little bit of a background there? You've had some good experience along the way in, as far as uh, RF measurements and audio measurements and had a chance to see and use some of the equipment that's out there. And then, equally important, had a chance to kind of design some of the easy-to-do types of ways of measuring the signals that we generate. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, um, I've had a little bit of experience with uh, some of the measurements over the years and some of the things I've done. So uh, present some uh, measurement instruments and uh, techniques that, uh, that I've run across. Um, when you're trying to measure uh, the, the characteristics of a uh, signal, it's, it's relatively easy to do it audio. Um, the, the level zero uh, thing you might say to do it, simplest uh, device is a distortion analyzer which uh, it's a common name. It's more, pro more properly called the total harmonic distortion analyzer because when you're looking at uh, an audio signal, you um, begin by looking at a sine wave, and uh, you want to look at how clean the sine wave is. So you look at the total harmonic distortion. Um, you measure the, uh, the sine wave signal and then notch out the fundamental, however you do it, and you measure the remainder. And the ratio of the two is uh, called total Total harmonic distortion. Now you'd want to do this, um, you know, if you're uh, if you're building a uh, audio oscillator to use as test equipment, you'd want to do that. Um, more often, if you're building an audio amplifier, you want to know how much distortion you've got in the audio amp, um, and you want to keep that, of course, to a minimum, unless you've got a fuzz box or something in there for music. Uh, we have a, a quote from um, Wikipedia, which spells a, a little more detail uh, in there. I'm not going to. Uh, not going to read that, but that's the basic idea. Um, you measure uh, the signal and you measure uh, how much distortion there is, how many um, uh, unwanted products there are, and uh, look at the ratio. The uh, higher the um, or the lower the number, you know, such as a one percent distortion or uh, 20 dB uh, minus 20 dB distortion, um, gives you some idea of how well you're doing. How uh, at least for a single frequency. Little digression here. Um, I was involved in the Landmobile two-way radio industry for a while, and they uh, they measure something called SINAD. It's the ratio of signal to uh, signal plus noise and distortion, or sorry, signal to noise and distortion, which is where SINAD comes from. Um, they had a, a simple device which um, uh, operated at one frequency, I think it was one kilohertz. It was generally used on um, um, Landmobile or um, HAM, uh, narrowband FM rigs. And what it let you do was to uh, put a tone through the system, transmit the signal to a receiver, and uh, get an idea of how much distortion there was. The primary use was looking at the sensitivity of receivers um, to get a handle on uh, how well uh, how well your receiver was working. Um, you wanted to know the sensitivity of the receiver, and the receiver sensitivity was specced in microvolts or tens of microvolts for a 12 dB sinad with the presumption that if you had at least a 12 dB SINAD uh, ratio of the wanted signal to the noise and distortion, uh, you had a readable signal. Very, very handy way. We, we have a picture in the uh, white page, whiteboard of uh, a SINADer, which was an automatic instrument that you could hook up and do this, and it read uh, SINAD directly on the, uh, uh, on the meter. Very handy device for um, uh, quick kind of stuff. Not too much application in ham radio, but 
it's another example of something that uses um, measurement distortion. These days, there's something else that can help quite a bit with, uh, with audio. Um, there's a program called Spectrogram that uses the audio card and uh, your computer to give you um, the equivalent of an audio spectrum analyzer. You can um, hook this up to um, the output of a receiver, uh, the output of a, an amplifier, and look at, um, just as you would with a, an RF spectrum analyzer, you can look at the uh, audio spectrum and see what components are there. Uh, question? Yeah, not only can you look at the distortion you know, with single tones, but as George pointed out, you can also see the, um, uh, see the whole uh, audio spectrum. Another use that's been made of it that's kind of interesting, Elecraft in, um, I think it's a K2, makes use of spectrogram in the audio, uh, feeding white noise into a receiver, and then look at the, um, uh, the audio out to uh, see the shape of uh, IF filters, presuming that the audio uh, uh, passband is wider than, than the uh, uh, IF filters would be. Um, and that program, spectrogram, is available. There's a link on our webpage here. Whiteboard at w5big.com. Um, if you go to that page, you'll see two versions of Spectrogram. There's one that lets you use it, I think, 10 times before you have to pay. And there's an older version that uh, is uh, completely free. It's public domain. Um, naturally, I recommend the, uh, the perfectly free kind. That's free is good. Free is good. Okay, at RF, things get a little more interesting. Um, before I do that, any, any uh, George, you have uh, something to say? Hey Joe, the, along the lines of the uh, uh, the spectrogram programs that run on the PC that are able to show you the the quality, the, the signal, the spectrum of your audio signal. There are other kinds of devices too that um, can do that even outboard to the PC. Uh, Dave AD7JT and I have been working on this thing called the NAT, the Network Analyzer Terminal also has a pretty cool feature that's built in that takes the audio spectrum, an LCD, that conveniently displays the representation of the audio signal. Dave, um, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, you're right, and you're, you're close to describing this measurement receiver also, which would give us a, a full spectrum uh, where we would beat uh, RF, two RF signals together, one we can control, and we sort of sweep the, uh, sweep the frequency span and then look at the audio, resulting audio out and measure that, and now we can do uh, RF uh, span. All right, thank you, George. Yeah, thank you for uh, filling in and amplifying there. Um, I tend to be single-minded, and it's always good to put things in perspective and uh, tie it to, uh, to hams and, uh, and their uses. Um, we all, all hams who transmit a signal want to, want to have some, some way of measuring it. And uh, one of the very earliest, earliest ways I used as a novice back in the early 60s was uh, when I put a transmitter on the air, I'd have somebody local, somebody in my, my hometown who was not right next door but a little distance away, listen on the air to see how my signal sa sounded. I was sending CW, so uh, you know speech was not an issue, but it, it's nice to know how your signal sounds. Um, and I didn't do that at first. I, I had a... Um, the low-power transmitter is a 35-volt input transmitter um, that I used on 40 and 80 meters, and I just fed a, um, it was actually, it amounted to a um, half-wave wire on uh, on 40. Transmitter had a PiNet output, so back in those days, uh, you often didn't need a uh, uh, an external tuner. You just used the Pi network to tune the signal. Well, um, 
I had gotten a couple uh, 80 meter crystals, so I was hot to trot on 80. I got on 80, and uh, by George, I wasn't working at all. I could hear people, nearby people, really well. I couldn't work them. Well, after a week or two, I got this envelope in the mail. I got a pink slip from uh, California. Seems the FCC heard my second harmonic out there. So one of the downsides of using the PyNet output in a tube transmitter to uh, um, match your antenna is that you can tune it up on, on a harmonic and uh, actually transmit on the wrong signal using the uh, final amplifier as a multiplier. So anyway, it's nice to, uh, nice to be able to uh, see how well your signal is. After that, I found a local ham who'd listen for me on, uh, on uh, whatever band I was on and then tuned around and see if we could hear any of my harmonics or, or other things. And, um, and that worked out quite well to uh, keep me out of trouble. I, uh, I humbly apologized to the FCC and told them what steps I was going to take to, um, to get around that. And actually, one of the things I got was an absorption wave meter, which is the next, uh, yeah, race has been there, done that. Um, I hope uh, using a neighbor to uh, check your signal, not the FCC. Uh, I got an absorption wave meter, which was um, something I bought from uh, Lafayette Radio. And um, it was actually, they called it a field strength meter. A tuned meter, you could tune to um, roughly any frequency in HF. And look at your transmitted signal just by what was picked up by this thing. Um, like I say, a tuned circuit and a simple detector and a meter. But uh, from tuning the dial, you could tell what signal, uh, what frequency a signal was on. Of course, you look at the fundamental, look at that, and then you look at harmonics and um, see see how strong the harmonics are. Hopefully, they're weak. Now, it wasn't calibrated in uh, dB or any of that good kind of stuff, but uh, at least with uh, in the old days with tube transmitters and uh, reasonably good uh, PyNet outputs, um, it was not an issue. It uh, it did a, a pretty good job. Um, you know, ordinary tune circuit. You you can uh, you can read the stuff that's uh, Amplifies a little bit what I'm talking about, but um, a good, simple way to get an idea, A, that you're putting out a signal, and B, making sure it's on the uh, the right frequencies. That's right. Uh, and actually, as it turned out, when I was on 80 meters at 3.7 megahertz, my output was at um, 7.4, which was out of the handband even. Yeah, uh, if you um, use your whatever dipper uh, and don't allow it to oscillate, you... you um, set the regeneration control so that it's not out of oscill it's not into oscillation it will work as a uh, an absorption type wave meter a uh, simple cheap way of getting a quick idea yeah yeah that that's another way um, when you're looking at, and it's a good way to do it when you're looking for uh, signal quality or or harmonics particularly you got to be sure that you're not overloading the receiver uh, because that can introduce its own uh, distortion but yeah yeah another um, Another trick in the bag, to in your bag of tricks to uh, check things out. Just a very quick thing. We have some pictures of some uh, microwave uh, absorption wave meters that are, in this case, coupled with waveguide. And I've used them um, professionally when we're looking at uh, microwave systems to uh, be sure that uh, the signals are on the frequency band we want and uh, don't have harmonics and such. Um, also look for, um, at times, looking for leakage into uh, uh, waveguide that uh, some nearby transmitter is not injecting energy in there. You have a uh, waveguide that uh, kind of doesn't have a good joint. Uh, another way of doing it, another very good way of doing it.
Um, probably the best way to look at RF signals is to use a spectrum analyzer. We have a couple pictures here of um, spectrum analyzer with, uh, um, well, the first, first picture shows the uh, spectrum analyzer centered uh, with the main bang, I call it, zero frequency. The center of the scale, you can see a signal there and harmonics and other products from that uh, signal. And uh, about the same thing is shown on the right with a uh, another spectrum analyzer picture. They're good because they're generally pretty well calibrated. Uh, you can take precise readings of frequency and amplitude, and uh, they have a wide dynamic range so that you can see uh, you see uh, signals that are attenuated down well. An additional benefit is that it's a view all at once. You can look at the, the whole whole shebang. You can look at a wide picture of uh, of a signal to see uh, that you have harmonics, but you can also see other spurious products that might sneak in there from uh, unknown causes. And with that, um, hearkening back to some of the techniques with the uh, audio distortion analyzer, we have the SQM, the Signal Quality Manager. And I'll turn it over to George to, uh, to start talking about that. Okay, thank you, Joe. What we have, if we're looking at the SQM portion of the whiteboard, <clears throat> we see uh, a photo of the actual SQM, the signal quality monitor. And uh, simple little circuit board, RF input, bar graph display to indicate uh, the amount of RF spectrum, and we'll discuss that in a moment, and uh, um, a tuning mechanism on the right-hand side of the board consisting of a wound coil <coughs> toroid, and a uh, polyvericon capacitor, a variable capacitor. Powered by 9-volt battery, this thing can can serve a real good purpose here on the bench. So what we'll do is we'll go through it. But just as a, as a little bit more of a background, again, what we did is we, um, um, we designed this instrument as a simple uh, gadget, if you will, for Atlanticon 2006. And uh, many people have this. We resurrected the SQM again in recent... Uh, um, recent months in order to serve a good purpose here on the bench and uh, uh, the theory behind it is that uh, the um, the device is able to filter out or notch out a the fundamental RF signal that's going that's put into the in, into the instrument and thus leaving all of the residual energy in the spectrum above that frequency and below, I guess, too, but primarily above that frequency. The theory is, <clears throat> it was with a, if you, if you recall some of the displays of a spectrum analyzer, there was a, a fundamental spike of energy at the fundamental frequency. In this case, sir, let's just use seven megahertz as an example. If you're inputting a seven megahertz or a 40 meter signal, uh, transmitted signal to this thing, <clears throat> it is able to um, um, see that, that energy and uh, ultimately display that fundamental energy at 7 megahertz on that bar graph display. However, it also displays all of the other spectrum energy at that, uh, uh, on that display such that the 7 megahertz signal and as Joe was indicating before the, um, the energy of the harmonics um, of that 7 megahertz signal the odd harmon uh, uh, the, the harmonics of this of the transmitted signal are able to be displayed, 
And if you remember um, your, your theory on the square waves, for example, input a square wave, it contains an awful lot of energy that is <clears throat> at the fundamental, but diminishing strong yet diminishing signal components, spectrum energy at the odd harmonics. Um, three, five, seven times the fundamental. So there's an awful lot of energy in there. If you have a transmitted signal, that is nice and pure and clean and well filtered and so on, you'll pretty much just see that seven megahertz signal and uh, <clears throat> the residual energy will not be that great because it will have been filtered out and it's not your transmitter is not producing a lot of of the uh, harmonic energy. However, if you do not have a clean signal, for example, if you were to take a digital signal, a PSK 31 digital signal and uh, overdrive that, um, overdrive the audio of your of your uh, digital signal, you get splatter. Everybody knows you get splatter, and you get a wide, uh, a wide uh, indication on a spectrum display. <clears throat> but you can actually, if you looked at that on a on a spectrum analyzer, you'd see an awful lot of energy um, higher um, higher than the desired fundamental. So um, the idea is to filter out the SQM filters out the fundamental. And what is left in display of the bar graph is the amount of energy that is outside or beyond that fundamental, the bad stuff, as it were. So after going through the adjustment period, an adjustment of the of the device that we'll go through in a minute, um, the uh, the amount of energy left is displayed in the is the number of LEDs that are lighted, and uh, the higher the more LEDs that are lighted, the poorer your signal is. So in other words, it's it's uh, after going through the process and seeing the residual energy that you have in your transmitted signal, the lower the LED indications, the, the fewer number of LEDs that are lighted, um, the better your signal is. And uh, that's fundamentally the process of the that the SQM follows for its operation. As seen in the block diagram down below, you got the RF input uh, going to an attenuator. So that attenuator is used to set the proper level. Um, in the calibration process, as uh, as we'll go through in a minute, and then the the signal is notched at a given frequency. That frequency is determined by the tuned filter shown on the right hand of the photo of a tuned coil in series with a capacitor. So you adjust the capacitor to get a uh, notch to get a dip in the number of LEDs that are lighted at the given frequency that uh, you know the transmitted signal is at. And the residual signal is uh, go is entered into uh, the input of a of a log amplifier, a log detector, and its output feeds the display, the bar graph display, in a rather calibrated manner. Um, roughly five dB of signal level is indicated per d uh, per LED that is displayed. So ultimately, you can determine um, by the difference from whatever was a full peak. Um, at calibration of full LEDs down to the notched or the minimum number of LEDs that uh, are displayed, you can um, uh, see how much <clears throat> residual energy uh, is remaining in your system. So we'll go through that now in a, in a bit and uh, uh, toss it back over to Joe. Uh, Joe, you've also kind of um, in the past had kind of a monitor scope um, in um, Mod, uh, in a transmitter system or an audio system, and um, ultimately you could, with a, an appropriate RF envelope detector or a little teeny scope, you can actually see uh, the kind of signal quality that you're being that's being transmitted. 
But uh, again, the whole idea, the whole beauty of our system is to be able to easily see relative measures of quality of the signal being uh, generated. Here we're talking about our, at the RF stage and uh, different ways that that can be done with the SQM. Go ahead, Joe. Sure, George. Yeah, yeah. The, um, um, it, it is exactly as you said. There's a block diagram on the white page that uh, shows the, the basic functional blocks. Input attenuator is just a potentiometer. Um, we shunt the input with a 56-ohm resistor that gives you an approximate match in a 50-ohm system. And then we have a notch filter. Um, the general notch filter, as George mentioned, is an LC resonance circuit, a uh, series resonance circuit that uh, can be tuned to notch out the signal. Uh, um, the signal, well, first you, um, you blast the signal through at full level and adjust the sensitivity so that you have full-scale deflection, 10 bars. Um, and then you notch out by uh, enabling uh, the tuned circuit and adjusting for um, the bars, a decrease in the number of lighted bars in the display. Um, and uh, you, you, the difference between the two is, uh, uh, is the uh, relative uh, distortion, total distortion or uh, unwanted signal in there. Um, the detector itself, as George mentioned, is a, an AD8310 log detector. Uh, pretty good uh, chip from uh, analog devices, similar to the 8307 that uh, W7ZOI uses and uh, the PHSNI guys use. Uh, that produces a DC output that's fed to a, an, a, a, an LM3914 um, bar graph display chip. Uh, the bar graph display looks at the DC out of there and lights a number of um, uh, LEDs based on the voltage. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit on the white page, you can see this thing with a whole bunch of triangles and LEDs and, and all that stuff. The basic idea is that um, you establish a reference voltage and compare the DC out of the, uh, um, out of the detector chip and um, measure the, uh, the relative voltage um, by the, uh, the chain of resistors in there to a reference generated by the 3914. And the way we have it set up, um, it's very convenient. The 8913 or the uh, 3914 has uh, a reference voltage of one and a half volts. Well, if you look at the um, uh, graph for the AD8310 DC out versus RF in, you can see that there's a uh, correspondence between the RF in and uh, what they call the RSSI output voltage that has a slope of 24 dB per uh, 24 microvolts per dB. So if you work out the numbers there, um, with one and a half volts uh, for the uh, the reference uh, for this that uh, corresponds to 10 bars on the display, each bar then that we decrease corresponds to about a 5 dB uh, difference. So we get about a 5 dB uh, uh, indication per bar on the bar graph display. So that, for example, if uh, you had full scale with with the main signal in you notched it with a notch control, um, and the bar went down, the display went down two bars, that would be an attenuation of about 10 dB. And George will uh, show you that a bit later. Uh, all in all, very handy chips, uh, good chips, because they have a lot of functions that you don't have to muck around with much, and uh, give you an easy way of having at least, uh, if not exactly calibrated signals, uh, signal measurements, a way of doing some relative measurements to give you warm fuzzies about uh, about the 
signal purity, the, the cleanliness of the signal you're uh, working with. Hey, Joe. Um, Jim, N5IB asks in the uh, chat section here on the uh, on the TeamSpeak client, he asks what considerations that you have <clears throat> that you made when choosing the AD8310 versus the 8307 log detector, which is used in the W7ZOI power meter as being used in the PHSNA um, uh, system. What uh, was it? Was it uh, cost? Was it performance? Was it dynamic range? Or what was uh, what was the reasoning there? Do you recall? Actually, that that, that was not a real uh, consideration. Quite frankly, um, I picked the 8310 for two reasons. Number one, I'd uh, designed some equipment at work that uh, used the 8310, so I was very familiar with it, knew how it worked, knew how how good it was, um, and the characteristics. And number two. As it turned out, since we were uh, trying to cost cut for uh, something that was basically a giveaway with Atlanticon, uh, it turned out the 8310 at that time, uh, the 8310 chip was a couple bucks cheaper than the 8307. Simple answer. Too much. But, yeah, Joe, that answered my question. I thought it might have been the, the cost issue that they were a little cheaper because I imagine uh, the lower intercept gets lost down in the, the bottom of the noise floor anyway. But, uh, yeah, interesting. When I had to go look up the data sheet on the thing, uh, uh, interesting chip. I, I will comment that uh, guys who maybe have built a PHSNA can recognize that uh, – all they really need to do is build the front end, an end of the uh, signal quality unit, and just plug it into their uh, their power meter that they're using with the PHSNA, and uh, they've got the deal. All right, let's uh, let's go through a little bit of the calibration of the SQM, such that when we can when we input a signal to it and make some adjustments, we can get some meaningful results uh, from the instrument. Um, Assuming, for the sake of this discussion, let's assume that we've got like a 7 megahertz uh, signal going in, being fed into the input. The idea first is to put the instrument, the SQM, into uh, calibrate mode. Now, <clears throat> there are three jumpers uh, uh, on a jumper block just to the side of the uh, of the toroids, and... Uh, You'll, you can look at the schematic and look at the instructions, but to put it in calibrate mode, the first jumper block needs to be in place in order to feed the signal through. And then the other two jumper blocks, each of which selects either a low or a high filter, um, need to be off such that there is no filter being applied. In other words, the full signal is being applied through um, <clears throat> to, the, um, uh, to the log detector, and then the log detector feeds the bar graph display with the full spectrum content. All of the spectrum energy is being reflected, is, is being shown in the bar graph display. With that signal applied, um, adjust the trim pot at the edge of the board next to the filters uh, such that a full signal, a full scale uh, LED reading is indicated in the bar graph array. In other words, adjust the trim pot such that all LEDs are, are uh, turned on, just barely turned on. Now, the last one needs to just turn on such that you have a full display. At that point there, that sort of sets the maximum that uh, uh, is ever going to be read by the log amp um, and then ultimately displayed in the, in the display. Now, at that point, either put on... Um, one of the two jumpers for the to select the series pass 
uh, resonance uh, um, condition for the filter, the, fil the inductor in, in series with the uh, capacitor. In this case here, because the uh, the number the blocks are numbered uh, illogically, uh, put the jumper in place for the um, on the rightmost jumper block, such that uh, the, the jumper block closest to the toroids is the one on, and that's the that selects the low band like a three to ten megahertz. Understanding we've got a seven megahertz signal coming in, so now we've got the seven megahertz coming in through an attenuator through that trim pot. <clears throat> which was set to get full scale. And now the um, uh, a um, series LC is in the circuit that will tune to resonance at a given frequency that you will find when turning the, the capacitor. So the idea then is to turn that capacitor, turn that uh, very, uh, polyvericon cap until uh, resonance um, is seen at the fundamental frequency. You will note that frequency by a significant dip in the um, in the LEDs being displayed on the on the bar graph array. In other words, understanding that the fundamental frequency, 7 megahertz in this case, contains the most energy. Uh, when you tune the capacitor to produce a dip, you are thus um, ensuring that the in, in most normal systems that you are dipping at the dipping the most you're reducing um, the most uh, notching out the most uh, signal content there at the fundamental and uh, leaving all of the other spectrum still going through because it is not being notched out and once you have tuned that bar graph array such that there is a null a dip and uh, get the deepest dip in the LEDs being displayed you will then <clears throat> have indicated there the uh, amount of residual energy, but that's not um, that in itself is not overly um, information worthy. The amount of LEDs that are on, it's really the number of LEDs that are off after the dipping process. In other words, after calibrating it first to a full scale reading with all of the energy, and then uh, putting your filter in place, and then tuning to a resonant dip. Um, producing a certain number of LEDs that are extinguished in that dip, the number of LEDs that are extinguished indicates the amount of energy below that fundamental, which was up at the at the peak of um, of the bar graph array. For example, as you will see in the uh, oh, there are three successive uh, uh, videos that are placed onto the website. There, just click on the video; that'll take you to a two. Uh, Click on the image. That'll take you to a YouTube video that I did for the calibration process and then for the um, um, setup and measurement of a clean signal source and then for the setup and measurement of a dirty uh, signal source. We'll get to those uh, those in a minute. But just as um, as you'll see, at least in the in the videos, you'll see a dip that is produced that is uh, I think showing three. Oh, actually, in the first one, it's a nice, clean 7 megahertz signal coming from a QRP transmitter that I have. Oh, actually, it was from a, my 8640B, my HP 8640B signal generator, my pride and joy here, used all the time on the bench. So with a nice, pure 7 megahertz signal actually shown in that image, you'll see it that there is a dip of seven um, LEDs that are extinguished. In other words, I was able to, after calibrating and then uh, putting it into the 7 megahertz position, I was able to tune down a dip that reduced uh, seven LED segments from the top. 
seven LED segments are extinguished, leaving only three that are shown, still turned on. <clears throat> this tells me that seven times five dB per segment, so seven times five is 35 dB, so that my uh, my noise floor in my nice clean signal um, is 35 decibels below, uh, 35 dBm actually, 35 dBm, because this is in a 50, uh, 50 ohm system, 35 dBm below the fundamental um, that was being fed to the instrument from my signal generator. This is of great value. Um, the, um, the, the resolution is not that great uh, with this system, but it's a good seat of the pants type of indication of, of operation. Now, as you'll see in subsequent uh, photos, and I'm going to turn it back to Joe here in a minute to talk about uh, um, what a dirty signal would be. Uh, you'll um, actually um, be able to see the quality of the signal that is being sent into the SQM, again, by the number of digits that are um, LED segments that are extinguished. Recall, just keep in mind that the good signal in this case was reduced by seven uh, LED segments or 35 dBm below the fundamental frequency that was set up at the, at the peak of the bar graph reading. Um, but Joe, the um, dirty signals can be characterized, as I said before, perhaps by uh, overmodulated signals, um, by um, well, digital signals that are being driven too hard, by uh, poor amplification systems, uh, by misadjusted uh, RF amplifications, by nonlinearities, about a whole raft of different reasons. But in this case here, for plain to, to, to test out the capabilities, to demonstrate the capabilities of this SQM, we chose a dirty signal by means of uh, uh, an instrument that produces a square wave-like uh, signal test generator that produces lots of harmonics and stuff. Um, and that produces a, a nice signal that we can use to illustrate the points here. But can you tell us more about the dirty signals and, and kind of like the relationship that we're going to see in the SQM readings? Um, if you have a dirty signal then, and uh, not impugning anything on uh, um, Elecraft, but the Elecraft uh, XG3 uh, generates um, sine waves. It's a dirty signal with uh, oh, harmonics in there. Um, yeah, it's a square wave, not a pure sine wave, and, and I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But um, it, it's something that has harmonics in there. Suffice to say, that's the case. Uh, and what that means is that if you, um, with, uh, with the notch disabled, with only shunt one in, if you adjust for full, uh, full 10 bars on the, um, uh, on the bar graph display, um, and then notch out that signal, or notch out the fundamental signal, as shown in the video, um, you only go down to a reading of three bars. And uh, the three bars, then, is the attenuation of all the other energy uh, coming out of the XG3, all the stuff that's not on the fundamental. And um, jumping the gun a little bit, perhaps, but if you look at the bottom there, we did some calculations um, and show a picture for uh, the frequency uh, uh, content of a square uh, spectrum of a square wave. You can see the, the fundamental here is shown as uh, about 0.63 volts, and um, the third harmonic would be attenuated to just over 0.2, and the others go down even lower. 
Uh, and there's some numbers there. The third harmonic is minus 13 and a half dB. So uh, getting three bars attenuation when we're using the XG3 with this dirty signal source says that we have about 15 dB attenuation, which is not bad for um, a simple setup here. And uh, the fact that indeed some of the harmonics out of the XG3 uh, might be attenuated because it's not a pure sine wave coming out. So it, it's at least a, um, a warm seat of the pants feel that indeed we're, uh, we're looking at a square wave and um, uh, the, the uh, signal quality meter is, uh, is showing us that uh, the, uh, the harmonic content is um, something over, um, uh, something in the ballpark of 15 dB down. Um, enough clumsy description. Back to you, George. Uh, yeah, in this design, when you are adjusting the notch uh, tune capacitor, how do you know that you are tuning to the first harmonic, <laughs> to the desired signal to notch it out, as opposed to notching out some uh, spur that may be emanating from the signal source? <laughs> yeah, the, the spurs are always fun. Basically, what you do is you um, you look for the uh, maximum signal you get, and it's it's often good to start from low frequencies going up, because the chance of having uh, unwanted energy at the uh, below your carrier is small. Uh, you just tune for the uh, the biggest signal and use that as the uh, uh, or the biggest uh, I'm sorry the biggest dip, um, the the most dip, the fewest bars, and um, uh, that generally would be the uh, the fundamental signal you're notching out. If you have uh, spurs that are stronger than the signal. Um, uh, stronger than the main signal, you've got a real problem. Okay, you just won't find it with this technique. I suppose you could uh, use a signal generator or a grid dip meter at the desired frequency that you want to null out and make sure that the uh, unit works the same way. That's an excellent point. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be uh, probably the best way to, uh, to get a sanity check there. And uh, excellent suggestion. Thank you very much. Well, let's see. Let's get the button pushed. I was just going to observe. Uh, presumably, you could uh, could actually put a little calibration scale on that polyvericon for the two two ranges, so that you'd have an idea where you were tuning the null. Like Joe was saying, uh, presumably the fundamental is the strongest signal, so that the biggest notch means you're notching it. But it wouldn't be hard to get a little scale on it. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, calibration technique for the SQM uh, demonstration of a good signal being uh, adjusted via uh, for and displayed via the SQM uh, demonstration of a of, uh, of a not so great signal, a square wave uh, like signal coming from the Alcraft uh, XG3 signal source, which in itself is a very cool product. I have that on my bench here and I use it all the time for a lot of different purposes and here's another example of that. And uh, Joe's good good explanation of square waves and uh, odd harmonic content and uh, uh, how that indicates on, on the SQM. So anything in between that pure signal indication and a, a ratty signal indication is likely what we're going to be transmitting mostly. And uh, urge you to give it a try. It, it's kind of a fun project. And um, uh, we've got some of the kits left. Uh, may go for another run if there's enough interest. But it's an easy enough thing to whip up yourself. And this is certainly something that we urge. Uh, these kits that we produce are not they're, they're not in great numbers and quantities and for long periods of time usually. 
but the circuits stay around and they're also they're always very they're always really interesting to experiment with and for example you could you could take a instead of it as a bar graph array you could put a meter in place and have a much more accurate type of indication of um, that log detector output uh, the dip that is achieved on it and calibration of it uh, initial calibration of the initial signal and so on let's get in a much better type of indication in fact that might be kind of a fun thing to do here myself I, I might enjoy doing that um, want to uh, point out that Alan W2AEW um, per usual suggested an awful lot of great reference material in this case here he gave us maybe five to ten uh, reference links for good um, instructive and demonstrative uh, uh, YouTube videos that he's produced and those are located at the bottom of the whiteboard and it's a really nice uh, summary of information thank you for doing that Alan per usual and uh, just as an aside Alan's agreed to kind of talk about uh, um, use of uh, pro proper use of scope probes going forward in a future episode of, uh, of chat with the designers uh, Scope probe. I've been fooled pretty recently. Joe and I have been kind of fooled by uh, the different loading effects, the uncalibrated nature of some of our probes that we're using. It can be deceiving, so you got to know what you're using in order to uh, really trust some of the values that you get, the measurement results that you get. Um, next week, what we're going to be doing, uh, next time that we meet, what we're going to be talking about is going to be the, uh, um, essentially it's the combination of the Arduino Nano plus the DDS-60. Now that in itself is not uh, really new. Lots of people uh, have built that kind of a, a combination uh, controller and signal generator. We've talked about something like that in the past here. However, um, Jim and uh, Nick and Jerry and the, the guys in the PHSNA team have developed a new circuit board that uh, for their PHSNA, which is a more compact version of it and it um, it allows for use of a nano on a small board with the DDS 60 card integral to that and they have some extra little doodads on that board that that make it a nice uh, uh, feature for the PHSNA project now we've talked about the PHSNA measurement system before but what we're going to talk about next time and it's really really kind of fun is this little board in itself is very very valuable uh, and useful as a signal generator, as a local oscillator for an HF rig, as a um, different kind of uh, uh, if signal effects that can be programmed um, via the Arduino to produce RF signals of different uh, types of test waveforms, for example, that might be useful in our um, on our test on our lab bench. There's a lot of different projects that could come about could be used could be generated because of this uh, new board so Jim has uh, recently put in an order for a bunch of orders uh, for these boards and um, uh, they are inexpensive and you pop in an inexpensive Arduino Nano controller which is just a small little mm, 28 pin dip um, <clears throat> and um, of course the DDS 60 and you got yourself a really flexible, what's the word? Um, oh man, I lost that word again. A nimble uh, kind of signal, signal source that can provide all sorts of extra measurement capabilities for the bench. We're going to talk about that next time, I think. And uh, we'll have a good time doing that. So, um, Joe, I'm going to turn it back over to you to kind of 
tie the ribbons on it and take us home per usual. Certainly, George. Thank you. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for showing up tonight to uh, listen to us uh, go on and on. Um, what we've discussed tonight are some, uh, some basics for uh, signal quality measurement for determining whether or not um, signals we, uh, we're generating and uh, the circuitry used to process them um, have good characteristics. We talked about um, the very early days of some uh, audio distortion measurements, simple ways of doing that that um, have been um, in existence for as long as there's been uh, electronics and audio. Um, segwayed over to uh, some general techniques for doing it with RF. Uh, some simple, simple-minded things that uh, were done before the days of um, uh, agile um, test equipment, good, good quality test equipment, and ways that still have some legs with them today. Uh, for those who don't want to spend a lot of money uh, and still be able to uh, measure their signal quality, how good uh, their signals are, uh, and we ended with a discussion a little more in depth and some applications for um, an Atlanticon kit that uh, George and I designed um, a bunch of years ago called the SQM, the Signal Quality uh, Meter, that uh, ties those concepts all together and um, uh, in a circuitous fashion or a circular tying the uh, knots together fashion, it uses some of the same techniques as uh, audio spectrum analyzers did. Uh, we discussed some of the characteristics of it and um, uh, the uh, operating theory and George has some excellent videos that I recommend people look at to uh, see the SQM in action, to um, uh, to show how it works in a much more succinct way than uh, our mere words do. Uh, while a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is often worth a million words, uh, and, it, and it really clarifies things. 73 to all. I hope you enjoyed the program tonight, and uh, we'll see you next time. 73 from Joey. <laughs>